Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And we're shaking our gree-gree. Megan. It sounds so good. It does. It's so satisfying. It is. Megan is bringing us a deep dive. It is. At least two-parter, right? Yeah, it, it should be. And um, it will be. And it's kind of, it's a popular case. It's something that um, people have probably seen um, different ABC episodes, Dateline episodes on as well. It's not as popular as like Pam Hop, um, but this is a, this is the Kelly Clayton case. She's out of upstate New York. That's our victim. Okay. And I'm going to do something a little bit different. I hope they like it. If you guys don't, let me know and I won't do it that way again, but I'm going to take you through the trials. There's two trials that happen here oh. um, and I'm going to kind of take you through it day by day and talk to you about who testified and what they testified to so that you actually get an idea of what type of evidence gets presented in a murder trial and why juries might decide things the way that they do. I love that. Yeah. I think people will really like that. Maybe and a little we'll bit more a, technical, but yeah, but we'll get a glimpse into what your day-to-day life is like as you well. You do. You will. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So jumping right in, mm-hmm. I'm going to talk to you about Kelly Clayton. Please do. And when we post pictures of her, this girl is drop dead gorgeous. Oh. Drop dead gorgeous. She was born and raised in Elmira, New York on August 1st, 1980. To Howard and Elizabeth, her maiden name was Ackman Stage. So Kelly's maiden name is Kelly Stage. She had two siblings and was the youngest of the three. Her older sister, and I may pronounce her last name wrong because it's very French, and to me it's bourgeois, bourgeois, but I think it's probably pronounced Borges, Kim Borges, stated in an interview that she and Kelly were 10 years apart. And she said, so she was kind of my baby. I'm protective of her. She was brave, bold, sassy, liked to dance, and she was very pretty. She says about her sister, she could model, and I think that's just what she wanted to do. She had graduated um, from Elmira Free Academy, which is a high school, an academy there in upstate New York, and the State University of New York at Anianta. And after college, her big dreams led her to move to Las Vegas, where she traded in her teaching job to be a cocktail waitress at the Imperial Palace. Oh, and I bet she made way more money. I bet she did. (laughs) Yeah. Her sister said she absolutely loved it. And one time she had worn one of those big 30 pound feather headdresses and she just loved every minute of it. I wondered if those things were heavy. Yeah, when apparently I look at they them, weigh 30 pounds. That does not surprise me. Can you me. imagine your neck strength? No. I, no. I, look like I would be built like some type of a bodybuilder at yes. some point from having to hold that Only thing on, on my head. Only on your neck, though. Yeah, <laughs> like I know. Every right. place else would be normal. Oh, no, looking. right. Yeah, just soft and fleshy in this muscly neck. Right, right, right. Well, Kelly didn't have that. I would have a migraine. Right. After All that. the time, <laughs> a feather-induced migraine. You wouldn't think feathers weigh that much, but really. Once they I, get everything all oh, on there, yeah, I guess yeah. they do. So as I stated before, she was beautiful. So she's five foot six, blonde hair, dimples, just this all-American girl, and came from one of those families that everyone knows. And we're from a small town, so we know those families. Mm -hmm. Her dad had run the West Elmira Volunteer Fire Department, and when she was in high school, she was an honor student, cheerleader, and a softball star at the Elmira Free Academy. So one of those I have so much in common with her. You do? Not the modeling thing, but just I mean, you could. Oh, that was very Uh, sweet. And here I was going to say, so do I, just not the softball thing. So that's how how we are ego-wise in terms of our our levels of confidence, right? Uh, Well, my sister's 10 years older than I am. I'm the baby of three. and she was Born around the same time. Yeah, I just so much Very loved, very protected. Um, I I believe, and it's not in my notes, but I believe at the time that these um, unfortunate events are going to occur, it's her siblings are all around and her mom is still alive, but I think her dad had already passed at this point in time. So in 2004, 
Kelly moved back to Elmira to be closer to the family that loved and adored her. And she began working at the Woodhouse Stadium Grill in Corning. So she was a waitress. She enjoyed waitressing. In in high school, Kelly had also been a gymnast and she enjoyed anything that involved fashion. She was extroverted and flashy and was attracted to those things as well. She took yearly trips with her friends to the Country Music Festival in Nashville. Oh, I do. I love her so much. Had a good time. But her happy place... This is why I also love her. Was at the beach with her family in Ocean City, New Jersey. Yep. Is so. this girl like my soul sister or yeah. something? My God. Wait till you hear the rest. This it, it is. It's like I'm describing you. Her friends and family said anyone who came in contact with Kelly always knew where they stood with her. Oh, she didn't mince words <laughs> or hold back her thoughts. Oh, I love her so yep. much. Kelly would be the first one to offer kind and encouraging words, but she would also give you honest feedback and advice and kind of <laughs> tell you how it is. And I appreciate that about this yes. girl as well. Yes, me too. So Aww. when Kelly comes back to Elmira, both her eyes and her heart were drawn to Thomas Scott Clayton, who was a hockey player for the semi-pro Elmira Jackals. Oh, all right. Some thigh strength going yeah, on there. Yeah, he had a reputation for fighting on the ice and flirting off of it. Okay. And uh, everyone who describes them <clears throat> say, say the same thing, that it was almost like a, a love at first sight kind of thing. There was a, a waitress and friend of Kelly's at a local bar where all the hockey players hung out and such, and they said um, Kelly was beautiful and noticeable and he definitely noticed her but one of the stories that I liked the most was that she had actually gone to a hockey game and he had ended himself up in the penalty box as happens often as you will hear about Mr. Clayton here Um, and it was like she was sitting right outside the hockey box they you know glanced at each other locked eyes and it was just all over from there I love that he's very nice looking yeah very nice looking man as well Mm -hmm. so these these two are gorgeous they're just a beautiful couple they are So let me tell you about Thomas. Thomas Scott Clayton was born in Binghamton, New York in 1978. So he's my age, Mm -hmm. just a a little younger. Binghamton is a small industrial town about an hour east of Caton, New York. He was born to his father, Scott, who was a landscaper, and mother, Phyllis, who managed a food service company. Just normal. Yeah. Regular peeps. Regular peeps. And he even says his childhood was unremarkable. Good. In that. We like that. In that he was an average, well-liked kid average student, and an athlete. Yeah. He spent most of his time playing hockey, and he continued playing hockey after high school at Niagara University, which is a small Catholic college in Buffalo, New York. So I had heard of Niagara before and and just looked it up a little bit. And he continued to play hockey there as well. So Thomas was a forward and he was good okay. at it. If you yeah. know hockey or yep. if you know soccer and those other types of things. That makes sense why he things. was in the penalty box. A uh, lot. He was. Okay. And he, in fact, was recruited. So, having gone semi pro in college to the minor league hockey team after graduation, uh, the Elmira Jackals. So, the Elmira Jackals were a new Eastern Conference team. They had joined the United Hockey League in 2000, which is just two years before Thomas was recruited to play for them. So, they were really a new hockey team. Wow. For Thomas, this was ideal. And he was quoted in the Elmira Star Gazette stating, I wanted to pursue a career in hockey. I wanted to play somewhere. And I thought Elmira would be a great fit. I had family in Binghamton and they could see me play. So this was just going to be the ideal situation for him. And this was a new semi-pro team that he was on. Yeah. I mean, I ever tell you about the time I was on a semi-pro cheerleading squad no were you really yeah i was i never is it one of the the uda ones where they do like the dance cheer 
Yes, they okay. did. Yep, they did both. But it was for a football, a football team. I'll have to tell you about it someday. I, yeah. I love it. I don't tell. I just realized, like, I don't think. All I don't even think my husband know. knows that about me. Really? Yeah, I never. When we just about it. a while back had one of those Q and A's. That would have been oh, something yeah. that you should have I said. Have Here's said, something yeah. people don't know about I me. I forget about it usually too. Until you have it, you, it triggered me when you yeah. said that. I was like, oh hey, yeah. Well, I tell you all this stuff about Thomas so that you know that he had intentions. Like he wanted to play for the majors. He sure. wanted to play hockey. Yeah, that was his goal. Um, one of his former teammates described that he was famous for his on ice brawls, playing like any quote unquote hard nosed hockey guy. But he got into fights. Was described as scrappy, tough, and dead set on winning. Okay. He was described as he wasn't the biggest guy, but he played like he was. Mm-hmm. And oh, I like that. Right? Or he wasn't the biggest guy, but his attitude was the biggest. Right. Right. He would do whatever it took to win. Okay. So all that time in the penalty box, uh, whatever it took. An example of this is that in 2003, Thomas got into a brawl that spilled over into real life as he and Brad Wingnut Wingfield, (laughs) of course there's a nickname like that. Yes. Well, Wingnut's a teammate who later became famous in hockey circles for being crazy. They ended up brawling with four police cadets and an Elmira bar. Oh, wow. Oops. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the fight started in re- response to Thomas dancing, quote unquote, nearly naked on tabletops. <laughs> he was just coyote ugling it. <laughs> he was. Fine. He was. Uh, Let him have his he, fun. He ended up out of the pub on the street and it ended with Thomas being charged with misdemeanor assault and Wingnut being charged with felony assault. Oh, damn. So those. I'm yeah. guessing his shirt was off and maybe you know he had it. it unbuttoned. Yeah, he's stripper something. style. His underwear. Yep, yeah. He's probably dancing in his boxers at this point. Oh yeah, maybe. Maybe yeah. we've got a little pony going on. You know, Channing Tatum. The four police cadets are like, yeah. oh, oh hell no, no. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're getting this drunk down. Come on, off the abs bar. of steel. Let's exactly, go. exactly. Yeah. Well, luckily those were pled down to disorderly persons. Oh good, a much lesser misdemeanor, y'all. Where you usually just pay a fine. Right, so, uh, right. Those those are pled down. Yikes! That escalated quickly. It huh? did. It did. <laughs> and I told you before, Thomas was cute. Yeah. He's, he's very nice looking. Kelly's sister, Kim, stated um, that people were very much in awe of him because he was cute and he was an instigator. She said he would start fights and people would get caught up in that as well. He and, liked well, being the center of attention. Sure. And apparently ended up very quickly on tabletops dancing. Uh, very quickly. One minute you're stripping in a bar and the next you're on the and streets. The next, I've, with who a, hasn't been there? You know. Right? Oops. <laughs> It happens, and apparently it Kelly can. was like, "This is this is it. I like this. This rush. is the guy. Yeah. The okay. guy on the bar, half naked, getting mm-hmm. thrown out. He's for me. Okay, yeah. So it spends his time in the penalty box, and okay. sometimes the county jail for a few hours before being released. Right. So he was the bad boy. Let's yeah, be honest. For sure, I was. Just he was a bad boy, that. and she was a beautiful cheerleader, and yep. that was yeah. that was their love story. Love it. While Thomas was playing for the Jackals, this is when he meets Kelly. As I've already yeah. indicated, yeah. she was two years younger than him, and it was a whirlwind romance that resulted in them getting married quickly okay. after meeting. The couple, as I indicated, like they look like they walked off the pages of a bridal magazine. They're that gorgeous. Both of them, both extremely extroverted. Easy, chatty demeanors. I mean, sometimes opposites attract. Mm -hmm. You and I both have those situations going on. Yep, and sometimes, you know, similars attract. It's it's in this case for sure. They are both very extroverted, chatty people who who could put on a performance really. Mm 
Antonovich, who is a former teammate of Thomas's, said Kelly was very outgoing and fun. She had a sweet smile. She was always at the games, always cheering. And he says she was a hockey wife. Oh, right. You can see it. She's there to support for everything. Well, by 2006, Thomas ended up retiring. He had been rejected from the National Hockey League too many times. So he'd had some injuries. Um, He had been hurt and he indicated, and I don't know that this is, you know, it's one of those things where you say, well, I'm retiring because I'm I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to lead a new life. Or it's because of just extreme disappointment, knowing that you're not going to get, you're not going to get drafted. And the older that you get, the more you're likely to sustain a serious injury. And it's just time to know your time. And, And he said, you know, I'm married now. I'm in a different phase of my life. And at this point in his life, he had indicated he wanted to spend less hours riding on a minor league hockey bus for hours or days. Oh, sure. And to settle in a family life. Okay. I think that people think about, you know, sports and athletes getting you know flown to all these places well the minor league ones they don't fly them they're on a bus and they're sitting on a bus with all their stinky friends for hours and days while their families are home alone yep fun when you're in high school and college but wears off when you're an adult yep and that was where he was at that point so that same year in in 06 he and kelly moved to charlotte north carolina thomas bought rental properties and he started a taxi business for people too drunk to drive home Oh, fun. This precedes Uber and Lyft. Yes. But yeah. he basically started like something similar. Absolutely. And they were there for five years. Then they moved back to New York and into the brown paneled house in the woods where um, they they remained until the unfortunate events here in Caton. And it, this is a, it's a pretty house. It's a cute house way back in the woods, kind of secluded. You st- they still had neighbors, but they're, they're in upstate, wooded, beautiful part of New York. Okay. And so kind of a a dream home thing for them. This is when Kelly began waiting tables at that uh, restaurant that I indicated earlier. And Thomas began a house remediation business. So that's um, decontamination, removing pollutants. um, And he opened a store from a franchise of one of these remediation businesses called Paul Davis. But you'll recognize the next one. Later, he partnered with his friend, Brian Lang, and they opened up a franchise of ServPro. Oh, okay. So you, we have yeah. ServPro. Yes, we do. And that's what they are. Those home remediation, they come in, All they right. clean mold and do some industrial sure. type stuff after floods, yep. fires. Yep. So they specialize specifically in water, fire, and mold damage. Important job. Not glamorous. It is not. Important. It was not. And he he knew some things about this. Um, I think when they lived in New York, they'd actually had a couple of rentals. They were already doing things with rental properties. So they Mm -hmm. were involved in property uh, management and flipping as well. So Clayton ended up, uh, Thomas Clayton ended up using his home as the headquarters for Paul Davis. But when he joined forces with Brian Lang to open that ServPro franchise, they opened that up in the Ladabrook Industrial Park in Horsehead, Horsehead in 2015. Horsehead. It's not horse. <laughs> it's H-O-R-E-S, Horsehead. Horsehead. Okay. Right. Horsehead. And if I'm pronouncing mm-hmm. these wrong, I apologize, but that's how I read it and I find it funny. Right. And, I uh, too giggled. In early 2015. Okay. With uh, Horsehead. <laughs> so Clayton was the project manager uh, running uh, running that business. Okay. He ended up bringing most of his equipment from Paul Davis to serve pro. And he also brought with him another laborer, a man by the name of Luke Tatro. In 2015, Kelly was 35 years old. She and Thomas had started a family. They had two beautiful children, a daughter named Charlie and a son named Cullen. A daughter named Charlie melts my heart. And I will tell you that I've seen the son Cullen referred to as Crash. 
Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. So yeah. like, even if you were to look up her, one of her obituaries that comes up, it says, you know, loving daughter, Charlie and son crash. Like, oh God. They're so cute. I love it. And between their two incomes, uh, they were still making extra money uh, by buying and fixing up rentals. Okay. So they're still doing this whole rental property thing. The town of Caton, New York is a small rural northeastern town and it had a population of about 2,100 people. Sound familiar? Yes, it does. Yeah, it's home. This isn't the type of place where crimes are committed, at least not major crimes, where you have to lock your car doors or install alarm systems Mm -hmm. and gates. There's not gated communities. This is is rural America. But in the fall of 2015, all of that changed for Caton, New York. On a muggy night on September 28th of 2015, Kelly was at her home. This is the house in the woods on Jinnan Road Okay, with Charlie and Cullen, who were, I believe, five and two. Okay. Um, the children had been put to bed, and this is normal for them because what was going to happen is Thomas always played poker on that night. Okay. So Thomas was out playing poker. My God, this is such an American. <clears throat> it is. It is. She's home with the kids. He was an avid poker player. He actually had two safes in his home, one that he kept under his bed and another in his basement. Okay. And he remember he likes attention, right? Yeah. So he was known to carry around and flaunt large stacks of cash from his gambling winnings in oh. public. Oh. Here's an example, which just makes me not like him a little like he had loaned a car to a friend's sister and just conveniently left $22,000 of cash in it. Okay, man. Can you see like, Aww. oh, here, you know, put your put your stuff in here, enjoy the car. You go to get the in the glove box and you're like, oh, 22 grand. I, I was liking this recipe that you were building here, but you just sprinkled in some douchery and I, I don't do you, have a taste for it. Do you remember the episode of Friends where Rachel accidentally does the recipe that mixes mm-hmm. a, a, yes. a trifle with shepherd's pie? Yep. That's what yep, I'm about exactly. to give you. Peas with your chocolate. <laughs> so strap in. Poker night was a regular and normal occurrence. Uh, Linda and Greg Miller were the neighbors. They were close friends and neighbors. They hosted this weekly game, and poker night regulars included, there was a Nicholas Hajnowski, Davey Pieri, and Bill Davis, along with Thomas. Those were the regulars that played, and they played poker every Monday night. So we know it's a Monday. During the poker game that night, one of the poker players had mentioned that he was going to be getting a large supply of deer blinds, but they were heavy and that he would need assistance carrying them. So Thomas offers to help. He uses Linda Miller's phone and calls his friend Michael Beard and offers Michael Beard this job of carrying deer blinds. This is from some of the people at the party. Mm -hmm. So when the game is wrapping up, then Thomas goes home. When he arrives at his house, it's about 12.30 a.m. His wife, Kelly, he found lying on the floor, naked from the waist down with an obvious head wound. Mm. There's blood surrounding her head and it was described as coming like a halo, like oh. blood had just poured out and is around her head. Um, I, I probably should have given you a trigger warning, but kind of this whole next part is <clears throat> he thought she was dead or close to it. At that point, there appeared to have been a struggle and that struggle <laughs> had woken up Charlie. Oh, I'm going to break your heart. The daughter who told her dad when he walked in that there had been a robbery, that there was a robbery. And Thomas takes the kids to the neighbor's house. He calls 911 there, and that's where he tells operators, my wife, my wife, she's dead. She's dead. How do you know? She's, and he says, she's dead. You know, just get here. Well, 
when two police officers, your responding police officers in Steuben County, responded to this frantic 911 call that came in just after midnight, one of the officers was wearing a body camera. It captures the entire scene on its arrival. You, I, We can attach it. Mm. It was covered by ABC and some other um, news networks. It was released, as you will get to, uh, I will get to later, to a jury. And, and you can watch him going through here okay. um, and, and seeing the scene. Watching the scene itself, Charnel, I mean, it's it's graphic. There are, sure. um, you can see um, blood all, kind of all over on the walls, things like that. Okay. I think the most terrifying part is just that the, the two kids are there and Charlie is yeah. up. She's awake. She's, and she's up seeing her and she's mother awake. in this state. Yes. And how long did she sit with her mom like that? So we'll get to her interview in okay. a minute, which is kind of interesting, but... Um, irrespective she, that's the first thing she says to her daddy is that there's been a robbery and she was worried about her mom I believe that she was very close by by the way because one of the things if I don't get to it later that she will tell investigators is that she knew that her mommy was hurt and so she was hugging her leg mm. but when she hugged her leg she didn't want to hurt her oh Megan you just killed me I know Oh, this poor baby. And if you think the, the parents are gorgeous, wait until you see pictures oh, sure. of them as a of family. Course. I mean, the kids yeah. are, are beautiful, um, as all children are. They but are, these yes. ones are just exceptionally uh, gorgeous. So the two police officers come and through. she's only five, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, she's either five or six, because when I get to some of the testimony, they refer to her as being seven years old. <sighs> this is where it's it's hard. They do a good job of not listing a lot of specific personal information about the children mm-hmm. in terms of their dates of birth. So for me to tell you like when they were born specifically, sure, sure. she was either five or seven when yep. this happened. Yep. So Somewhere I'm putting her in, in between that there, age range. Know, yeah, yes. I got it. Still, oh, it gosh. doesn't matter. My she heart. was a baby. Exactly. So the officer wearing the body camera, it captures this scene and he describes it as this is too horrific to be real. Kelly had been trigger alert. Mm-hmm bludgeoned to death in her own home my god deputy dean swan said on this cam she's been beat to death i got a body cam on to show where we went it is extremely bloody thomas clayton told officers that he's the one that called 911 after he got home from poker and found her body on their kitchen floor the body cam picked up the savage nature of this merger, murder and evidence collection began immediately. So this is good small town police work. Mm-hmm. They start collecting things right away. But again, remember, with small town and local PDs and first responders, they are completely shocked by the brutality that they were witnessing sure. as the scene was processed. At one point, you can hear the investigator who has the body cam uh, telling Thomas Clayton, Let's, you need to go outside. You don't need to see this anymore. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. And he's like, and then he goes outside and he's telling him to have a seat in the police car. car and Thomas is saying, um, I can't, I can't stop shaking. I can't stop shaking. And the police officer's like, I know, I know, you know, you just need to sit down. Awful. At the, toward the end, too, there's also some audio where um, Kelly's sister, Kim, gets there with oh. her mom. Oh, God. And because they've been called to this, it, Thomas had told the law enforcement, and I think 911, too, to call my sister-in-law and mother-in-law okay. to get here. So he informed them to get there. Yeah. Kim will tell people later, when she got there and got up to the ambulance, she was expecting to see them working on her sister. She sure. knew it was bad, but she expected sure. to see them working on her sister. She did not expect to find her dead with her, I'm sorry guys, with her, her head bashed in. Right, right. And she can be heard screaming, 
Sure. Oh my God. No. Oh my God. And she's screaming. She's hysterical. Her mom's hysterical. At one point in time, she's vomiting. Oh, of course. Like, yeah. just this is the worst thing ever Complete that you could walk, yes. walk into. Oh, her poor mother. Her yeah. poor mother, too. So Donald Lewis, who's another investigator with the Steuben County, and I keep wanting to say Steuben because Steuben is the <laughs> county south of us yes. in, in Indiana, but yep. it's, it's Steuben, Steuben County, uh-huh. New York Sheriff's Office, called it a very gruesome situation. It was some sort of attack in the upstairs area down the hallways. Down the stairs, there was a hole in the sheetrock at the bottom of the stairs and a blood trail that ended at Kelly Clayton's body in the kitchen area. A hole in the sheetrock? This assault started up, they believe, in her room. It is speculated that she was bludgeoned in her head while she was still in bed. Okay. And then she got up. Um, Charlie will tell you later again I think I'm going to get to it but it's important to note here we know that this attack is happening and she starts yelling run Charlie run okay to to her daughter Mm -hmm. I assume that Crash is Colin is probably if he's only two or so he might even be in his crib Crib. yeah so or someplace with the door shut where a toddler Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to get out of so then, yeah, that comes there. We see that it goes down the stairs um, in the video. You can see blood on the wall. There is a hole in the drywall or at the sheetrock at the bottom of the stairs. And then the blood trail continues to mm. where she was found and ultimately, I believe, um, finished off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kelly ended up um, the autopsy stated she died of blunt force trauma after being beaten with a fiberglass mall hammer. Oh, my God. A uh, mall handle. So basically a hammer. So the yes. handle part of one of those big hammers, I think malls are sometimes not as maybe sharp, mm-hmm. but it's it was with the handle of it, and, uh, and it was fiberglass. It wasn't a wood okay. handle. The investigators, as would be typical, quickly turned their suspicions on the husband, right. indicating there were some major red flags. Right. They can't, they have to, I mean, they have to investigate him to be able to rule him they out. They do. And and there's some specific reasons. I will tell you this. Thomas Clayton is arrested that night. Okay. And taken to jail. Okay. First, there was no sign of any forced entry or robbery. All right. And despite the fact that there were corroborating witnesses that saw and were with Thomas at poker and GPS placed him there, they still took him into custody. Now, another police officer who was reviewing the crime scene, and I think you may be able to hear this on that audio as well, simply had stated, it looks like a domestic. So, of course, you know, people are going to speculate right away that they had some investigation bias, right? Sure. sure. It looks like a domestic. They arrest Thomas. They charge him with second-degree murder at that point Mm -hmm. and hold him at the Steuben County uh, Jail without bail. He hired a defense attorney right away named Ray Schlather. Schlather? Schlather? So much tongue action in this. Ray Ray Schlather. Schlather. He was adamant as to his client's innocence. When police looked into Thomas Clayton's alibis, Mm -hmm. they learned some additional information um, to corroborate and justify the arrest. Okay. They learned from a woman at the poker game that he had asked to borrow her cell phone to make a call about 90 minutes before he got home to find his wife dead. This is when this new person of interest to them comes into play, but I have said his name once. This is where we enter Michael Beard. The guy that he called asking to help yes. the other friend carry all those deer blinds. Yes. Okay. Now, back in 2010, Michael Beard began renting one of the properties that Kelly and Thomas had renovated. Michael Beard also happens to be a person, um, that same person that Thomas had called about helping with the deer blinds. And he was a former employee of Tom Clayton's who had recently been fired. 
Okay. Phone records showed that there had been frequent phone calls and texts between them, including that call from the poker game, which was on somebody else's phone. At this point, investigators see this as a smoking gun revelation, and they begin to believe that this is a murder for hire plot. Okay. Can I ask you why he wouldn't, what reason he gave, if you know, for not using his own phone to call Michael? He said that his battery had died. Okay. Or was dying. And uh, there's going to be a lot of testimony presented and evidence at trial that I'm going to get to. That's why I'm going to take you through this one day at a time with this trial because there's so much here to get. Sure. I can already see why there would be. Yeah. Michael Beard had been one of the laborers often at the Clayton residence because remember, Thomas had used his home as headquarters for a Paul Davis agency before he moved the serve pro thing over to that horse head. Uh (laughs) Horse Horse head. head. Yes. Um, and Michael Beard, he was familiar with the layout. He knew Kelly. He knew the kids. He, yeah. he knows where, where he's going. Yeah. Okay, girl. Early in the investigation, they identified the best witness as little Charlie Clayton, who had oh. witnessed her mom's murder. Yeah. Oh. This is where I want to give you some insight as to why Thomas Clayton was arrested that night. Okay. Officers interviewed her just hours after the murder. This is Mm. normal, okay? Right, right, right. Steuben County Sheriff Jim Allard was interviewed by ABC News and also 2020, and and these are quotes from him. I walked into the residence and just kind of sat down and started talking to Charlie, and we just started a little chat. And I said, what did you see? And she said, a man was hurting mommy, and mommy was yelling, run, Charlie, run. During that interview, Charlie said, when they asked what the person attacking her mommy looked like, she said that he kind of looked like daddy. Well, what did he, what made him look like daddy? <clears throat> well, his eyes. What about his eyes? Well, his eyes look like daddy. At this point, you're going to like this. Allard knows he needs a child forensic mm-hmm. investigator. Yeah. So don't worry. He doesn't correct. He doesn't continue. I figure. Okay. Okay. And they I'm take so her. so glad you said that. They take her for a second interview at the Chemung County Child Advocacy Center okay. or Chemung. I don't know. Yep. You have Indian names in, in New York too, guys. So I'm trying. Charlie made statements. It could have been my dad, but he looked real. He looked like my dad. When asked what made him look like her dad, she said his mask and jeans. And when they asked her if she had ever seen anybody wear that kind of a mask, she replied, my dad. Allard said every time he asked her a question, she related it back to daddy and then looked at him. And it's like she's reasoning her with herself, Charnel, because Mm -hmm. then she says, but it couldn't have been daddy because then who would take care of us? Oh, so she's she's this little girl. So completely traumatized. Yes, most definitely. Those statements were part of what led to um, Clayton's arrest. Sure. That and the call to Beard around 1050. Um, Beard's partner, it was his girlfriend, they're referring to him as her as partner, oh, okay. also told the police that they, that couple, um, Michael Beard and, and her, had been fighting that night and that Beard had left around 1130 and returned an hour and a half later. Okay. So we're getting this Michael Beard info. Is Beard similar in size, statue, and eye color to Daddy? Not really. Oh, Interesting. He was wearing a mask. Uh-huh. He was wearing jeans, clothes. Remember that they both dress similarly. They they work. They work. They, right? Yep. So you're going to be wearing similar. They, she's probably seen them wearing similar clothing. Sure. She also has probably seen him a lot she with also, daddy. She's also seen Michael Beard. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. 
And she could not see the person's face because they were wearing a mask. mask. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Michael Beard is taken into custody. During an unrecorded police interview, and I know it always makes everybody upset, but let me tell you why sometimes they're unrecorded. Small town agencies do not always have the financial capabilities to have a, a camera everywhere. Correct. And I believe that the station or satellite station that they took him to and they picked him up didn't have one. Right. Now, things have changed a lot since uh, the early, you know, 2000s, mid-2000s. We have um, more mandatory requirements or police officers do, and, and most things have to be interviewed. In fact, there's been some case law and such that has come down that require mm-hmm. those now. Mm-hmm. Well, in the unrecorded police interview, Michael Beard... He confesses to the killing and what? says, he confessed. He And then he says, Thomas Clayton hired me to carry out the hit. Okay. So the police have all this information and some of it's conflicting. Yeah. Okay. But prior to the trial, I was just not so you expecting know, that. <laughs> prior to the trial, though, here's what you might be expecting. He recants his confession mm-hmm. and he claims that Clayton had actually hired him to burn the house down. And he found Kelly's body dead when he got to the home that night. Okay, sir. So he's saying, yeah, there was kind of a hit or he paid me to do something. He actually paid me to come commit arson, burn the house down, allegedly for the insurance money. Thank you for pointing this out with the kids in it. And Kelly. Yes. So he seems, he's changed, he's recanted his confession that he was hired to do the burning part. And, you know, obviously Michael Clayton must have killed her. And uh-huh. yeah, there it's, a, it's where we are with that. Okay. And, and, I, and I never committed my crime I was hired to do because the house is clearly still standing. Right. Wow. Because he found her dead. It right. was like, oh, hell no, I'm out. Yeah. There was other. Even though I was going to burn it down and kill them anyway, right. potentially. Was he expecting that they were just going to get out? I don't. And I don't I mean, think. He never says. I don't think so. The evidence all goes um, badly from Mr. Beard. Okay. So here's what we have. Um, there was other evidence that tied him to the crime. Uh, he led the police to the murder weapon. Okay. But before, easy. before he recants bloody clothing, he had worn that night oh. and keys to the Clayton house that he had thrown into a small Creek near the home. Beard also had a lookout man with him that night, the night of the murder. And, um, that, uh, that person told investigators that Beard said, I'm going to have to kill a bitch on the way to the Ooh. house. And you're just still driving him, sir? Well, that person, uh, I will tell you his name when we get to in a few minutes, just so that we know, because this isn't really about him. He does end up pleading guilty um, uh, to, I believe, voluntary manslaughter, if I recall correctly, okay. and served a term. But just, just because of his, particip- his participation in this, yes. Okay. So he later confesses then also to beating Kelly Clayton with the handle of a hammer. And he states Thomas had offered him $10,000. $10,000. That's, that's all, all her life that's is worth? all the human life was worth. Uh, oh, wow. Yep. What yeah. the fuck? So, Chanel, if Beard's the one that did the actual killing, we just get back to trying, trying to reconcile the statements that Charlie made about yeah. the killer looking like her dad. And it really bothered a lot of people. The defense, of course, is going to rely heavily on this. Of course. Right. Uh, I mean, the defense of Beard. Job. The defense beard, right? Right. right. Um, Don Lewis, who's an investigator with the Steuben County Sheriff's Office, said that after further interviews of Charlie and further analysis, the person that was in there had a mask on and that they were pretty sure when she said, well, it looks like daddy, it was more of a, well, the clothing he had on looked like daddy. Mm -hmm. That was Mm -hmm. what they took from it. And they continued um, in their opinion that there wasn't a thought that she was being deceitful 
Duh. Like right, obviously right. she wasn't deceitful. She was traumatized. And it was true in her mind what she was telling when she, yeah, what she saw. Definitely. Um, you know, it makes you think subconsciously was there the home life bad enough? Were there things going on that made her almost point a finger at her daddy? Right, right. You know, yeah, think very ab- possible. Think about that as we're getting through through this uh, case. Yeah. Like maybe she has seen daddy be mean to mommy before. Yeah. And so, but and also I'll point out that she has seen this beard guy with daddy. Yep. And so in her mind, you know, like sh- we unconsciously notice things like mannerisms of a person and things like that. And we do. so it, it really doesn't surprise me that like she would be reminded of daddy by seeing this guy even though he's wearing a mask his body how he moves things like that something familiar to her right exactly now we have their explanation for how a murder with the perpetrator being thomas clayton in their eyes turns into a, a town media blitz of a murder for hire with thomas clayton and michael beard both being implicated and charged I'm going to go through some timeline of events here with you. And most of the rest of the case I'm going to cover like this because I want to keep the facts straight. Mm -hmm. On October 5th of 2015, this is when Thomas Clayton, so husband, Mm -hmm. is formally arraigned and originally charged with second degree murder in Steuben County. His bail is set at $250,000. He was released from jail after posting bail hours later. Can you explain why it would be second degree instead of first degree? Is it because they were thinking it's a crime of passion instead of premeditated? I think that was the, what they originally charged him with. I can okay. tell you that when I get to what he's indicted with, it's going to increase. Okay. But there are some weird things that happen here. Okay. There are some weird things that happen here in terms of charging period, in terms of how things, uh, convictions, and an appeal that I'm going to discuss oh. with you where these things are brought up as well. Okay. It drew my attention using my legal mind that there were some issues. Yeah. On October 7th, this is two days after he posts his bond, Mm -hmm. he was arrested again at the Redwood Inn in Alpine Junction for violating a PPO, which is a personal protection order. Also in New York, a Class A misdemeanor, which I love. Who had a PPO on him? While attempting to contact his two children. Oh, interesting. Family had a PPO on him to keep him away from the kids uh, during this, and he attempted to violate that. Okay. His bail then was reset to $500,000 cash or a $1 million property bond. Okay. This is where you put your property up for collateral. Yeah. Sounds obvious, but some people will ask. Mm -hmm. The next day, a trust was set up to benefit the children. The trust was set up to receive and distribute donations for the children's health, education, and maintenance, and they were placed with Kelly's sister, Kim, and Mm brother-in-law. The Chemung County DA, Whedon Westmore, told the ABC News. I love his name. Isn't mm-hmm. that a great prosecutor's it, name? It really is. Whedon Westmore. Um, Whedon, Whedon Westmore. He told the ABC News affiliate that the mall handle that they recovered a distance from the scene was examined and that they believed that Beard was wearing gloves at the time of the crime. Then he talked uh, that he had talked about getting rid of the gloves also. So that eliminated any DNA on the mall handle other than, of course, Kelly's. Yeah. Also, did you know that I said Chemung County DNA or DA instead of uh, Steuben? Steuben, yeah. Yeah. Well, remember how I told you how loved and well-known Kelly and her family are? Mm-hmm. On October 9th, just two days after he was arrested and had the high bond put on again for the PPO violation, Steuben County DA Brooks Baker requested that Chemung County DA Whedon Westmore please prosecute Clayton and Beard. He cited his personal connection to Kelly, 
her family, input from family or friends, and the fact that the events literally took place next door to his house. Oh, that was the neighbor. He wasn't the neighbor that he, called, but yeah, he was another, another neighbor. Another neighbor. Okay. That is how close knit this family, sure. this community is. And he, he knew her and her family so well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To the point yeah. where I'm sure that they literally had mutual friends. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if they hadn't had like barbecues of and course, stuff together. Yeah. This is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Now, for whatever reason, on October 13th of 2015, Wetmore and Schlather, who is the defense attorney, agreed to reduce Clayton's bail down to $10,000 cash or a $20,000 property bond. Wetmore cited that the reduced bail amount, it's because it wasn't connected to the second degree murder charge. That was actually connected, by the way, to the PPO violation oh, of misdemeanor. Okay. Just so you guys understand yeah. if you're sitting there going, what the fuck? Right? Yeah, this, yeah. It, that was why. Okay. You have to set bonds reasonably and fairly right. based off based of off what of the, the charge is. The charge. Yeah, and that, he was charged with yep. a misdemeanor for a protection violation mm-hmm. order. Mm-hmm. Thomas posted the $10,000 bail and was released from the Steuben County Jail. On November 18th, so we're talking what? Are we a month out now? Yeah. Beard, Michael Beard, he's indicted by the grand jury. When he's indicted, he ends up, he is charged with first degree murder and two counts of second degree murder. And he pled guilty, or he pled not guilty to both. First degree murder and two counts of second degree murder? Isn't it weird? Yeah. We have, we only have one victim. Right. So as I'm reading through this, I'm fact checking it because I'm like, is this wrong? Did someone cite it wrong? Yeah. But no, that's how he was charged. Now, granted, things for charging purposes might work a little bit differently um, in in New York State. But in Michigan, and you will find this is universal, secondary murder is more of a, it's it's a lesser included offense Mm -hmm. of first degree. So usually you would charge with, with one or the other. Right. They, they, they have three. They have first degree and two second degree. I'm assuming for the, the, the collusion, the, um, you know, the murder for hire that they're alleging has okay. happened here. Okay. Um, another thing that often happens, and if, if you are one of our Michigan listeners, is sometimes you're just charged with open murder. And mm. it's a statutory short form where... You just charge it openly, and then the jury gets to actually decide the degree oh, of, okay. of murder yep, that, yep, if yep. there is a conviction. That makes sense. So heard of that. keep all of this in mind. I'm not going to explain to you 100% what happens because I'm going to explain that at the end. But he is indicted, um, and he pleads not guilty to the first-degree murder charge and two counts of second-degree murder. Uh-huh. Um, December 16th, this is when Clayton is indicted. So Thomas Clayton Gosh. is indicted then. On one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. Mm-hmm. The next day, he pleads not guilty to first-degree murder and the two counts of second-degree murder at his arraignment. So these things are happening quick. Michael's is just a little bit before uh, Thomas's in each situation. Right. We get to January 25th. Michael Beard has a pretrial conference, a pretrial hearing. Yeah. During that pretrial, there are no objections to evidence presented, but both sides do ask for more time to review it. This brings us to April of 2016. Yikes. Yikes is right. Michael Clayton, or Thomas, I'm going to mix their names yeah, up. That's Sorry, all guys. Right. That's all Thomas right. Clayton appears in court after his lawyer files a motion hearing to try and obtain evidence from the prosecution. Okay. Schlather, the defense attorney, says the evidence is exculpatory, which is evidence that's favorable to the defendant in a criminal trial that could exonerate the defendant and that that must be handed over to the defense. Anytime you have exculpatory evidence, it must be turned over. Right. Wetmore maintains that the evidence is not exculpatory. 
The evidence that's in question pertains to the life insurance policy that was taken out for Kelly about a year before her death, as well as accounts of Clayton and Kelly's relationship as described by those who knew the couple. Uh, Okay. So... I would think this is very important information. It is. It is. Um, June 3rd. Now we're to summer. Jesus. 2016. Michael Beard is in court for a Huntley hearing. Well, a Huntley hearing in New York, and we call it something different here, it's a separate hearing for the sole purpose of determining the admissibility of extrajudicial statements made by the defendant. This is based off of the case of People versus Huntley. It's a suppression hearing, Charnel. Okay. This is where the defendant has made statements. They are pretty bad prejudicial statements about himself. And it's a statement against party interest, y'all, because he's a party, he's a defendant, and he made the boo-boo with saying them. But they try to get those excluded or suppressed from presentation of the trial. And usually that's based off of some violation of rights by law enforcement. Typically would be he wasn't Mirandized. Right, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. He didn't know his rights or he had requested an attorney and you continued to ask him questions. Mm-hmm. When those things get suppressed, we call that the fruit of the poison tree. If anybody's yep. ever heard of the fruit of the poison tree doctrine and you don't allow that evidence to come in. Mm-hmm. The judge listened to Beard's statements that he made when he was questioned by police and determined they were admissible at his trial. Oh, good. Okay. Michael Beard's trial date then was set for October 24th. Now, on August 30th, so toward the end of the summer of 16. we are now a year and two days after. We are moving Mm -hmm. along. Mark Blanford of Elmira is arrested and charged with two counts of second-degree murder, one count of burglary, and two counts of conspiracy. This is the driver. This is the man okay. with Michael Beard. I was like, Beard. who is it? I forgot about the driver. He is charged for his alleged involvement in the burglary and arson that police say also took place at the crime scene. Oh, I, there, there was arson? I think So there isn't a lot about, about that. I think there was potentially an attempted okay. arson that didn't Didn't actually take. happen. Yes. Okay. And they did, any, did they burgle? Any burning, no matter how slight. Well... Sure. In terms of, did they actually take anything from in there? Yeah. No. Okay. But burglary doesn't, um, in, in some states, doesn't always have to have an, an intention to okay. commit uh, larceny. It can be an intention to complete, complete an assault. So, oh. for example, our burglary statute here is called home invasion, depending mm-hmm. on the degree. That makes sense. And, and they did invade the home. Yeah. And yep. the felony okay. is, is, is that they, they have to be committing a felony therein. And that can include an assault, a larceny, uh, I- anything. Oh, so, okay. Okay. Thank you for explaining. You're that. welcome. So he's charged for the alleged involvement in the burglary and arson. Um, and he pleads not guilty. He's sent to the Steuben County Jail on a $100,000 cash bail or $200,000 property bond also don't you think it's weird if like he did this murder for hire why wouldn't you say also why don't you break into my safe and take some money to make this look like a robbery right that's just so that that's you're gonna you're gonna love you're gonna love the evidence that comes up i have intentionally not given you all of the evidence all right sorry i can't stop my mind from yeah we're you're gonna have to roll with me you will be patient like the jurors i do this to you you. sit here (laughs) and be my juror and listen and decide for yourself okay all right I'm trying. I really am. I'm not used to being in this seat. Right. On September 2nd, uh, Clayton's defense team, this is still 2016, um, asked prosecution to drop all charges against Clayton, saying there's no connection between Clayton and Blanford. Okay. Yep. 
And the defense also maintains that Clayton had nothing to do with Kelly's murder. Um, Wetmore, the prosecutor, says the prosecution's investigation shows that Clayton hired Beard. Beard, in turn, solicited the help of Blanford. Yeah. So, no thank you, sir. Right. We're going to continue. I appreciate your request that we drop the charges. It's not going to happen. Can we just make this all go away, guys? No. Well, and when they say he asked prosecution to drop all charges, I think that's the media's nice way of no offense, media, not knowing the legal terminology here. Let's be honest. He files a motion to yeah. dismiss the case. Right. Okay. Right. And, and it's not great. And hope, he's throwing it at the wall and hoping it sticks. He is. He is. And he's talking to the prosecution too. Like, come on. We got the two bad guys now. Mm-hmm. My my guy, Mr. Clayton Thomas mm-hmm. is a victim. He's not it's a bad my guy. stomach turn. Yep. Mm-hmm. September 28th, 2016, 2181 Jinnan Road in Caton, where Kelly was murdered, is listed for sale. Okay. For $239,000 on multiple real estate websites. And the next day, September 29th, would be the one-year anniversary of Kelly's death. Mm. This brings us to October 6th. Clayton is in court uh, for his Huntley hearing. This, again, was requested by the defense and allows Judge Bradstreet to review uh, the, way that the way that the police obtained statements. So now the actual hearing's happening. His, the defense tries to determine if first responders assumed Clayton had killed Kelly in an act of domestic violence shortly after they arrived at the scene. So remember I said... You said on the camera, it looks like, it a, domestic. It looks like a domestic. Right. Yes. Seven I wondered if that was going to come back and haunt. It does. Seven witnesses take the stand, including two New York State Police investigators, two Steuben County Sheriff's deputies, a Steuben County Sheriff's... Another Steuben County Sheriff's investigator, and the Steuben County undersheriff... Um, as well as uh, Baker. Baker's the investigator. One Steuben County deputy says he found Clayton at the home on his knees, visibly upset while Kelly was dead in the other room. Mm-hmm. A New York State police, another New York State police investigator, because there were two of them, says Clayton would only speak to him and says that Clayton told investigators to check his truck's GPS to show I, he wasn't home that night. Mm, wow check it's like my he truck already had that planned i out. wasn't like home. i oh, think once gosh. he realized he was under arrest that he was being taken like, in let me think about some things that he's like i wasn't ass. here i was at poker the check my gps can i insert an opinion yeah that's my my yeah opinion, my insert away. um i don't think that he being what i know about him really enjoyed being married to someone that was probably more gorgeous than he is that got a lot of attention and was successful and i think that probably probably had a tumultuous marriage that was very well covered up because he has to be the center of attention. He has to be the best at everything. The center of attention piece. And when you know men who are often liking to be the center of attention, that includes attention from who? Well, the opposite sex, of course. Lots of them, right? Yeah. Oh, girl, we're going to get there. You're so, Mm. you're so good. She's fondling the crystals over here. I sure am. The is bringing her brain. (laughs) Oh God, that was terrible. (laughs) I didn't even tend it, and it was funny. Oh, god! Doesn't it this usually? Is, it does. It does. This is my coping skills oh, right that's now. That's right. You cope. Um, deputies did say Clayton had taken the kids over to a neighbor's home, and he told his kids it was a robbery, which is interesting because I think Charlie had actually said to him, Daddy, it was a robbery. Right, right. Schlather, the defense attorney, still maintains Clayton is wrongfully accused. Uh-huh. So Beard's trials first. October 24th is when jury selection begins for Michael Beard. October 25 is when there is a selection. So eight men and four women are chosen. There are three alternate jurors, all male, who are selected for Beard's trial, and they give opening statements. 
In the prosecution's one-hour opening statement, Wetmore discusses the DNA and circumstantial evidence that he says pinpoints Beard as Kelly's murderer. Wetmore also discusses how Beard confessed to police about killing Kelly, how Beard also showed police where the murder weapon was, and that Beard told police Clayton offered him $10,000 to kill Kelly days before the crime occurred. Yeah. The defense says in their opening, Beard did, did enter the home the night the crime took place. However, the defense claims Beard was hired by Clayton to burn down the home for insurance money. Beard's defense says he was told the home would be empty at the time, but when oh, he went in to mm-hmm. burn it down, he discovered Kelly's dead body and her children upstairs, so he left. Wow. The defense also claims Beard was forced to confess to police that he killed Kelly, because it's coming in now, so they got to have a way to explain the of confession. Course. right. That he killed Kelly because he was fearful that his girlfriend, who was now his wife, would have also been arrested if he didn't confess or keep his story. That's odd. Well, he must have assumed that since his other friend, Mr. Blanford, got arrested, anybody who was with him or did she know? Did she know, though, Charnel? Right. Did she know he was going over there to commit a quote-unquote arson? Arson? Mm -hmm. Perhaps. On October 26th, so we are on day three of that trial, 13 witnesses take the stand including uh, the 911 operator, there's a neighbor, a first responder, an investigator, and a blood spatter expert. So several of the witnesses were the crime scene investigators with the New York State Police and the Steuben County Sheriff's Office. And they were primarily questioned about the type of evidence collected and why um, it was collected at the Clayton's home following Kelly's murder. Some of the witnesses on the stand throughout the day included people also who were familiar with the Clayton's. The okay. first witness to take the stand is the 911 operator who answers Thomas Clayton's call the night of September 29th, 2015. Thomas's 911 call when he returned home from that poker game in Corning and found Kelly dead inside the home. The Clayton's neighbor was next. This is the one who they go to his house. Okay. He was questioned about his encounter with Thomas that night. After discovering Kelly's body, Thomas gathered the two children, takes them across the road to the neighbor's house. The neighbor then goes back with Thomas to the residence. So the neighbor is at the residence with Thomas when police get there. He had gone in, though, and that's when he describes what he saw upon entering the house and seeing Kelly's body on the kitchen floor, as I described it to you before. I'm not going to say it again. Mm -hmm. Before they went to lunch on that first date, the responding officer also um, to the scene described what he saw at the home uh, located on Jenin Road. The homeowner of the Corning residence where Thomas was playing poker the night before also took the stand. She described an instance where Thomas asked to borrow her phone around 11 p.m. to call a worker. After the homeowner learned that Kelly had died the next day and they were friends, Mm -hmm. she looked at her cell phone to see who Thomas called but didn't find anything in the phone's lock. Really? Because why? Because he He deleted deleted it. it. That's when the homeowner's daughter took the stand and described how she was able to see who Thomas called and when by looking up the phone's billing statement online. One of the numbers called just before 11 p.m. the night of the murder was discovered to be that of Michael Beards. Mm -hmm. Most of the witnesses were only on the stand for like 15 minutes, but some were were questioned for much longer, as you would expect. These are your experts. So the investigator and the blood spatter expert with the New York State Police were on the stand for over an hour each. 
months is what you would anticipate. Yep. Yep. During that time, he was asked about scores of photos that had been taken at the crime scene and that he had analyzed um, for the jury that what he believed to be blood spatter translated to. Mm-hmm. He believed, based off of his experience and expertise, that Kelly was struck by a blunt object multiple times while she was in her bed, then got up, ran down the hall, stumbled down the stairs, and finally ended up in the kitchen. Okay. On October 27th, there were another, uh, 2016 still, uh, six witnesses testified that day. Um, It was, media outlets described this, by the way, as one of the more emotional days in the courtroom with Kelly's family and friends, and that Michael Beard had his head down and his eyes down for a good portion of that day because of the testimony that they uh, Mm -hmm. gave. Multiple New York State Police investigators spoke on the stand. The first was a woman who conducts forensic exams on digital technology, so computers and cell phones. She was given the task of extracting and analyzing deleted data from Beard's cell phone. She recovered over 150 deleted calls and was able to show the jury the context of deleted calls and messages delivered to and received from Thomas Clayton. The information would show, it showed the day and time of all of their communications. Suspicious activity was also found um, of Beard powering a cell phone on and off many times. Really? Well, once a cell phone's turned off, its GPS location is also turned off. Mm -hmm. The whereabouts of the phone then is unable to be located when it's turned off. Right. Others on the stand um, included there was a man that conducted um, Beard's lie detector test. um, And another investigator. And And both of these guys, he said, I can take you to where the murder weapon is. Okay, so this stuff is all coming in. We know mm-hmm. it's it's legitimately coming in. And then, and this is where I think everybody gets upset. The investigator reads the transcript from the grand jury indictment of Beard admitting to killing Kelly in detail. Mm. Beard said Thomas informed him where the house key was hidden and where to find the murder weapon. When he entered the house, Kelly was upstairs. He struck her once and ran downstairs. Kelly was about five to six steps behind him, and Beard says he struck her two or three times until she collapsed. Instead of then setting the house and cars on fire, as Thomas had ordered um, in order for him to receive the insurance money, Beard got cold feet and left the house and got into the car immediately. The kids were inside. Like, just, again, Mm -hmm. let's keep this in perspective. And he knows they're there because he said when he tried to recant that he heard them. Mm Mm-hmm. He had the murder weapon hanging out of the window so blood would not get in the car. Oh, yes, that would be tragic if blood got in your precious vehicle. Yeah. Sick fuck. And soon enough, throws it in the woods. Uh huh. He told police he regretted it and he only did it because he needed the $10,000 Clayton offered. He added that Clayton threatened to have someone kill him if he didn't do it as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> on October 28th, which was day five of the trial, there were um, 13 witnesses took the stand. I'm not going to get into all of them because a lot of them are repetitive. But a few days later on Halloween on the 31st, one of the um, eight witnesses that were called and a lot of them were recalled. OK, so a lot sure. of the, right. Yeah, they, that's normal. It mm-hmm. is. Uh, was Thomas Clayton's lifelong friend and former co-worker, a serve pro that Brian Lang. Mm hmm. Lang owned ServPro, and he testified Thomas joined up with the company early in 2015. ServPro is where Thomas Clayton and Michael Beard both worked, and it's also alleged the two met at ServPro hours before Kelly's death, and that Beard left a vehicle at ServPro minutes after Kelly was murdered. Really? Mm-hmm. 
So Lang was on the stand for about an hour being questioned about him, his relationship with Thomas Clayton, as well as the relationship between Thomas Clayton and Michael Beard. Uh He testified that Beard had been fired from SurfPro on September 17th, 2015. So literally just, what, two weeks, 10 days before the murder. Later on, Lang was asked about the security of SurfPro's location. That was the warehouse. According to Lang, at the time of Kelly's death, the Surf Pro building in Elmira was easily accessible even without a key. Special Prosecutor Whedon Wetmore then questioned uh, Lang about access to full body suits used for work at toxic sites, as uh-huh. well as chemicals meant to clean up crime scenes at Surf Pro. Right. According to Lang, those materials were easily accessible at the time of Kelly's death, death and are kept close track of now but they were accessible then. This to me is just going back to show us that he was dressed in those type of serve pro outfits. That's why he looked like daddy. Exactly. It's why he looked like daddy. Say, yep. Yeah. Ling also testified. You're going to love this to discovering a bag with clothes and Clayton's passport along with a bag containing $100,000 in cash in Thomas's truck on September 30th. What? Yeah. Couple days after the murder, he finds all of this. See, Thomas is in jail. Right, okay? right. And this, yes, it, I'm talking about Thomas Clayton. It is coming up during Michael Beard's trial. Yes, and, right. and this is because you have to establish all of this as well because he's charged with multiple things. And there yep. was a conspiracy that happened yep. here, allegedly. There right. was a, a murder for hire. It has to come so forward. It's pretty damning that there would be this passport, the clothes, a hundred grand man in cash all found in his truck. And is he that good at poker? Um, yeah. I mean, that's, why does he have a hundred thousand dollars worth of cash? Again, remember, I think he he's carrying around these huge sums of cash. He would, you know, fly to Vegas, go in, and he was he was playing some major he's a poker. Okay, he was playing some major poker. A friend of the Claytons was also among those who testified. Um, her name wasn't given, so I'm not gonna mm-hmm. get into it. Um, she testified to seeing Thomas at the gymnastics studio where their kids participated together. Mm. Um, and she confirmed that Thomas was driving a serve pro vehicle the night of September 29th, 2015. It's, For some reason, I thought that we started this on August 28th. No, it's September. I apologize. Okay. We were All off. Right. Yep, it's September. Okay. It was also alleged, so he's driving the serve pro vehicle. It's also alleged that he used another employee's truck to swap with Beard. As Thomas drove a surf pro talk to the poker game in Corning the night of September 28th. Oh, he did. Yeah. So the next day, the 29th, is where he spotted, this is the chick that has kids that do gymnastics with it. He's driving the surf pro truck. Right. The former employee testified that it was abnormal for a surf pro employee to use a company truck outside of work hours. Right. Right. Each surf pro truck is fitted, is outfitted with a GPS. Ryan Ling also verified the system and was able to pinpoint for the jury Thomas Clayton's movement that night, thanks to the GPS signal. Uh-huh. After the lunch break, this is when a formal, uh, another former coworker of Beard and Clayton, he testifies, or she testifies, no, he, I am so sorry. I'm getting my two witnesses confused. This is the male coworker. He says, Thomas always kept Michael Beard indebted to him in a sense. Oh. Oftentimes providing him with loans, maybe a car, when he wasn't providing Beard with side jobs and other work. Okay. And then, to round out the afternoon, three women take the stand, who each testify about 
sexual relationships that they had with Thomas Clayton before his wife Kelly's murder. Uh, there it is. They all said Thomas would gripe about his marriage to Kelly and would talk often about leaving her. Mm-hmm. On November 1st, there were uh, 10 witnesses testifying. Some of them had testified previously. A local meteorologist, two New York State police forensic scientists, Scientists, uh, Scientologists is what I almost said. Oh, they weren't. That was, that's different. They were scientists. <laughs> and an insurance salesman and a friend of Clayton testified. Of the witnesses taking the stand Tuesday, the local meteorologist discussed rain totals from the day before the death of Kelly and two weeks following the incident um, last year, the year of the murder. The meteorologist testified between 1.9 and 2.7 inches of rainfall was recorded in the Elmira area on the 29th and 30th alone of September. That's more than half the average rainfall for the entire month of September. Now, it comes into play later as two forensic scientists with the New York State Police testify about evidence gathered, which may have been influenced by the elements. The first was a scientist who discussed the testing of certain evidence looking for blood trace uh-huh. on the alleged murder weapon um, that was found off of State Route 225 in Chemung County days after the murder, as well as testing of uh, cotton swabs of blood evidence mm-hmm. that were taken from the Clayton residence, and also testified about a bag of clothes in question that was found in the days following the murder in the swampy area outside of Elmira Heights. These are oh, all believed okay. to have been touched by Michael Beard. Okay. And then interfered with by the elements. Right. Okay. And which would be why some th- it wasn't found on some things. Right. And, and what and they're trying to establish here is yes, okay, maybe Michael's DNA is not on this, but, but also it doesn't mean he didn't. Yes, exactly. It, that look at our meteorologist is saying it rained, you know, mm-hmm. this time. Yep. Okay. And this is how that it affects sense. it. Yep. So that second forensic scientist is the one who tested the DNA of the blood evidence. That scientist confirmed that the blood on the murder weapon was, of course, Kelly Clayton's. And also confirmed that scientist, she also confirmed Kelly's blood was the blood that was recovered from various areas of the Clayton residence mm-hmm. as well, which is, seems obvious, you guys, but there can also be blood from other, I mean, she right. could have fought back yep. or he could have been injured as well. Also, it has to come, it has to be put in as evidence and it has to come out. It does. Like it seem, you know, it does seem very obvious, but you, these technicalities have to come out step by step yes. for the jury they don't come in unless they're scientifically valid um, testimony Mm -hmm. as to why they should. So the same forensic scientist testified that Michael Beard's DNA was found on a cotton swab of blood evidence taken from the Clayton home. The blood belonged to Kelly Clayton, but there was evidence, and I'm doing this because I'm going to tell you of touch DNA, that transfer DNA, touch DNA, that belonged to Michael Beard included on that sample. Mm -hmm. And touch DNA, it can be anything from fingerprints to dead skin cells or more. It just isn't a body fluid such as blood. Yep. So the defense then asked that scientist if the touch DNA could have been from Beard worked on their home in the past. And she did say it was possible. But in her expert opinion, she believed it to be a fresh sample. Mm -hmm. Then an insurance salesman, and who also happens to be a friend of Thomas Clayton's, testifies. And Mm. this is the exculpatory evidence or so. So so people think it is, but I don't really... you, You be the judge. He confirmed... That he had doubled the life insurance policies. You know, I just realized how ironic it is for you to say, you be the judge. You be the judge. (laughs) Coming Uh, from your mouth. All rise, Patreons and listeners of Crime Curious are in the building. (laughs) So he had doubled the life insurance policies, I believe, at both of their requests, okay? Mm -hmm. Thomas and Kelly took their um, plans from originally Kelly's was... 
$500,000 and it went up to a million dollar policy and Thomas's went from a $1 million policy to a $2 million policy. Interesting. So I'm not sure what's exculpatory about that other than that he was worth more Mm -hmm. if he were to have been murdered by Michael Beard. (laughs) Right, right. She's still worth a million bucks. Yeah, exactly. Like he can't enjoy the millions if he's dead. So to me, it's like, yeah, okay. okay. Well, it came in. And, you know, it's important because we're talking money here on the line and people are Mm -hmm. greedy. Mm Mm-hmm. Of the other witnesses on the stand, um, so uh, got a Verizon, good old Verizon. I'd like to get a Verizon employee on the stand. I have some things I'd like to talk to them about. <laughs> Seriously. Previous cell service. Anyway, a Verizon employee testified uh, to certain calls and texts that went to and from Thomas Clayton's phone in the days leading up to the murder. And there was a civilian computer data analyst with the New York State Police who extracted cell phone data from Thomas's phone and testified his phone was on and operating during the evening hours of September 28th when his wife died. And it seemed to be working after into the early morning hours of the next day. Right. Intriguing. Interesting. November 2nd, Michael Beard takes the stand. Really? He testifies he was intimidated into giving a confession by investigators. Mm -hmm. He says Clayton told him the home was empty and that he could move forward with the plan of burning the house down. Mm -hmm. Beard says... He picked up Blanford, who's the other conspirator, right? before going to the Claytons, and he offered him money if he would act as a lookout while he went inside to burn the home down. Beard says a person wearing a mask was inside the Clayton home <laughs> when he arrived, Oh, and this person handed Beard the alleged murder weapon. What? Like, you're shocked to see this guy here, and here, he just quietly this. hands Bloody you the murder hammer. weapon. And you just take it? Yes. This is the worst. But he had to explain how it, his DNA was. Well, of course, it was on was it. There. Yes. Yeah. Well, th- because the murderer handed it to me, the murderer that I don't know. I feel like you and the jury are f- having the same opinion. Handed it listening to, me. to this, they I have to figure out a way to explain it, though. Oh, he's right. sticking with the recanted story. Sure. I mean, story. that's that's one way to explain yep. it. Sure, sure, sure. Unfortunately, his grand jury testimony was admitted as well. Oh, Beard claimed Thomas Clayton offered him $10,000 for a job mm-hmm. in April of 15. Oh, in the spring really? before the murder occurred in the fall. Beard said Thomas never told him of the job details other than the fact that it could mean jail time. Oh, <laughs> I have a job for you. I've got 10 grand. It could mean jail it time. could mean a, a, just a scotch scotch jail time. Yes. So possibly. If I give you this money and you do this job, you might get bent over in a jail cell in the future. Are right. you okay with that? Just, just is this so, you know. Is this okay for you? And he's like, fuck yeah. Sure. Put me on your list and let me know when the time comes because yeah. I don't need 10 grand now. Right. I'm going to need it in, in April, six months. But I know I'm going to need it then. Okay. Uh-huh. Beard claims he jokingly asked Thomas, well, you want your wife killed for that kind of money? You know, we hear this sometimes. Oh, I thought it was a joke. He thought it was we a, just appar- weird. I'll just well, joke. Also, apparently, he thinks ten grand's a lot of money. So he's like, "What? You want your wife killed for that kind of money?" And he says, "Thomas smiled and didn't discuss any further details." <laughs> wow. End yeah. scene. Ta-da! Wow. Encore. Encore. So we'll fast forward uh, to September seventeenth of two thousand and fifteen. The um, getting close then to when he's fired. So this is it is the day he's fired. I apologize. Michael Beard is fired from ServPro, the business where he and Thomas Clayton worked together for months. Beard says that same day Clayton picked him up as he was walking home. 
See, he's vulnerable now. He just got fired, Charnel. Oh, he's a victim. He doesn't have a vehicle. And Clayton asks him Puts what him. he would do mm-hmm. for income and rent money. Yes. So Beard also lived in an apartment which Thomas owned. And he was, I believe, in the process of potentially even evicting him from it because he hadn't been paying rent. Oh, really? So Thomas offers him, according to Beard, five months of rent-free living in addition to the $10,000 to kill his wife, Kelly. Oh, pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Five months. We couldn't even round it up to a half a year. Five, five months, months. Five months of rent and 10 grand if you take the life of my beautiful wife who you met multiple times. Wow. Wow. And That's all it takes, huh? He also says that... Um, he needs him to burn down the home so he can collect the insurance money. Also within that testimony, Beard confesses to beating Kelly to death with a mall hammer handle. Mm. Beard says he first, remember, this is the confession. He's not testifying to this when he takes a stand at his trial. This is his prior confession. Right. And, uh, yeah. And, and I believe uh, some information from the grand jury. So. He says he first struck her in the head with the weapon in her bedroom and the struggle ends down the kitchen. As we have heard in the testimony, Beard said he was instructed to make the scene appear as an accident by knocking Kelly out and using nail polish remover and a candle to start a fire. There's your arson. Okay. Okay. Beard claimed to be coming forth with this information in the grand jury testimony because he wanted justice to be served and he wanted to apologize to Kelly Clayton's family. No, you don't get to talk to Kelly Clayton's family. While on the stand, Beard had also told defense and the prosecution that he was intimidated. He was intimidated by investigators. Um, and he says, this is the fiance part, because I'm trying to figure out why. Why would he be intimidated his fiance would be implicated? He simply states that he thought in his own brain, with no rational explanation, that his family members and fiance were going to be implicated into the crime. So he confessed to a crime he did not commit. That makes zero sense to me. And then he says zero. that the investigators and his first team of lawyers told him just to keep saying he was guilty. So that's why he testified to the grand okay. jury that he killed Kelly, so the court might treat him better. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, in any court, judges and juries like to be lied to. Yeah. Right, right. I, the, so this, so That's got to be I know. the dumbest. Like, those threads don't add up, buddy. Like, what are you pulling at? Grasping. It's just, it. So, Prosecutor Wetmore, Weed in Westmore, he drills him on the stand. I love cross-examination so much, you guys. And he drills him, and he asks details about the night of the murder. Beard and Sissy went inside the Clayton residence only with the intention of burning it down, and then he never touched Kelly. Beard added that Thomas's phone call from the other person's phone around 11 p.m. on September 28th was Thomas telling him that Kelly and the kids had left the house for the night mm, and he was good mm-hmm. to move forward with his plan, right? It wasn't He wasn't going to burn down a house with kids and Kelly in it. Sure, no. He said, he's, he's, he's just going to burn down a house. Yeah. That's it, He guys. believed the home was empty and he yeah. wouldn't have gone to burn the house down had he known the family was sure. inside. After already confessing to bludgeoning a woman to death. But okay, okay, okay. But he's, he's saying it was right. forced, it right? it was forced. It you know, in mm-hmm. some, it, when you find somebody guilty beyond a real reasonable doubt, that doesn't mean all doubt. In some parallel universe, there may be 1% of you, the population, 2%, 3%, who, who believe that he was completely coerced. He made all this stuff up. He was scared. We've had false confessions before. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, his false confession, in my opinion, was just so closely related to all of the forensic evidence that we have in this case right. that you're just not going to talk your way out of it. No, no. And it just, the, the words just never made any sense. It was like, if dog rabbit. 
Yeah. Like my grandma used to use the terminology. Shit. He can't fight his way out of a wet paper bag. Yes. Yeah. Wet paper bags tear easy people. Right. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't fighting it real well. He does say that upon entering the home, he sees her dead body. This is when he is simply in shock. He was traumatized. He had no idea what was going on or what to do. He realizes the kids are in the home. He takes off. Doesn't call 911 nope. and say, I found a dead woman. Thank and you. Her kids he are doesn't call 911 there. at any point in time. No, never. Until he, he's arrested before any of this happens. Yeah. A pair of gloves were wrapped around the alleged murder weapon, according to him. And that he held the weapon outside the window. So I'm sorry. I left out this part. I apologize. I told you that the person in the mask handed him the murder yeah, weapon, right? right okay, right, I didn't leave it out. You did. So yes. he runs back to the truck, terrified. Holding this holding murder, the murder weapon. weapon with the gloves already attached to it. Because there had been gloves wrapped around God. it. And then he holds it outside the window of the truck. <laughs> the <laughs> next time I play Clue... That's what I'm going to say. Colonel Mustard handed me the lead pipe and I ended up with it. That's right. Wouldn't Clue be fun if there was a conspiracy option? (laughs) Right. Makers of Clue. Is that Hasbro? Add it. Yes. Add it. Yeah. I I want you to be able to add a conspirator to murder and Clue. Just envision that for a moment, guys. Just walking in because you're going to burn this this place down. That you and that you see a masked fellow, a woman bludgeoned to death, and he's just like, "Here, will you take this for me?" Yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I will. No problem. Oh, he was terrified, so he ran off while he was holding it. Did did he wet himself? No. I know. Well, there you wasn't that any. Scared. We don't know that there was urine found at the scene. Uh. Um, they did find his clothes, you know, because he uh. had thrown those off into right. the woods. I don't right. know if there was because like, he was so terrified. Right. So terrified. He... What the? I was so t- I was terrified naked. That's how scared I was. <laughs> right. We've heard that in other cases. Yeah. He does admit that he ditched the evidence, you including... You ever heard of scared shitless? Yeah. <laughs> scared shirtless? Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my that God. Was, that was I my was, excuse. I was scared shirtless. Oh, God, that's Fuck. funny. So he admits he ditched the evidence, including the clothes he wore that night, because he simply wanted to forget any memory of that night. So now I'm going to report it. He was there to come into crime, Charnel. He wasn't going to report that... Because, you know, somebody would implicate him, like what ended up happening. I am sorry, but good God. Yep. So the investigator, there was an investigator and another blood spatter expert uh, who testified, or I apologize, they were recalled. Um, The expert said he wasn't surprised that traces of blood weren't found in the truck. Beard said he used to drive to Clayton's home that night, as blood tends to dry quickly. So the transfer... The, uh, the method of transfer would actually be more difficult. And he admits he's holding out the window, guys. Right. And then um, the uh, last witness on the stand was an expert on criminal interrogation and confessions. And he claims some of Beard's testimony as well as police testimony given in the trial showed characteristics of a possible false confession. Remember, these are the defense's witnesses. Right. Okay. Think, think about that. Okay. But there right. was Some no of, way. What, what part of the police testimony led them to believe that they led him to a false confession? Right. Well, and, and let me point out that those things happen. I don't deny that they don't happen. Right. But there was an appropriate hearing that occurred in front of a judge who listened to all of the evidence before it went to a jury and decided there wasn't any impropriety and it was coming in. Yes. Right. The, um, that defense witness then um who is talking about how how there's characteristics of false confessions he does say because they don't usually lie people don't like to lie in the sand there's no way to know for sure if beard did in fact give a false confession 
Yeah. Beard is saying that he used the truck of another surf pro employee that Thomas gave him to get to Clayton's that night, the Clayton home. I was going to ask how he got there if he was walking home after yep. he got fired. He says he parked it at a logging path entry. He was he borrowed the truck, parks it in the logging path entrance that's approximately a half mile from the scene of the crime there in Clayton. And then this is where the jury learns um, for the first time in this trial of Mark Blanford's role in the crime. And according to Beard, he picked Blanford up before going, offers him the money mm -hmm. um, and, and acts as the lookout. And he was, in fact, charged, as I indicated before. Michael Beard's trial continued uh, September 3rd and into, I'm sorry, November 3rd and into November 4th. Um, they did bring in uh, the video interview um, conducted that the day the day that Kelly was uh, murdered um, because the defense wants this in. In yeah. the video, the child says, the attacker looked like daddy. Yeah. So that comes in. Yeah, that um, makes sense. Under Sheriff uh, Jim Allard is called to the stand, though, by the uh, prosecution just uh, on rebuttal um, to talk about that, okay, mm -hmm. about about the child interview mm -hmm. and what I've already explained to you. Yeah. The defense took 27 minutes to give their closing argument, and the prosecution's closing argument lasted 90 minutes, and jury deliberations began. Now, I want to talk to you about minutes. 90 minutes. On November 4th, um, the defense uh, went first. Isn't that weird? Closing argument's... In yeah. New York, the defense went first. I thought it was wrong until I looked up in both trials, the time frames here, and the defense went first or goes first. Okay. In Michigan, just so you guys know, the prosecution goes, goes first, first, and the defense right. and the prosecution gets a rebuttal. I right. bet that there's no rebuttal, and so defendant yeah. goes and then prosecution. This is, yep, this is what you... So... But you'd, you'd still think that it would be the defense that would get the chance to go last. Yeah, I don't know. Because leaving that lasting impression with the Absolutely, jury. but the prosecution still gets usually a rebuttal. It's, right. we, we have the burden of proof. Mm -hmm. um, we, as in, look at me pinpointing myself with a prosecutor. I apologize right. for that because I've also been a defense attorney, um, but... Yeah, I mean, you have the burden yeah. being a prosecutor. Right, right. The defense actually stated they agreed with 98% of the evidence presented. Even still, however, they said um, there were too many dots that weren't connected, which linked Beard to being Kelly's killer. And that's that's really the the most I can I give, give you from that. The special prosecutor, though, Wetmore, his argument lasted 90 minutes, so instead of 27 he goes over Beard's grand jury testimony, discusses how many times Beard has changed his account well, of what happened. Thank you. I was yeah. going to point that out, too. Like, come on, guys. While, while withholding information from the police as well. Yeah, yeah. He goes over the large amount of evidence, namely the fact that DNA on a swab of Kelly's blood taken from the crime scene matched Beard's DNA profile. Right. After approximately seven hours over the course of two days, uh, the jury found him guilty of... One count of first degree murder and two counts of second degree murder in connection to Kelly's murder. Wow. Okay. Okay. So Beard gets oh. scheduled for sentencing on January 30th. The most severe charge, that being first degree murder, carries a maximum possible sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh -huh. Kelly's <clears throat> family members in attendance at the sentencing cry for joy upon hearing the verdict sure. and repeatedly say, we got him. Yep. As they leave the courthouse. Right. The quote um, from one of Beard's defense attorneys, uh, Kevin Van Allen, because he had multiple attorneys. Uh -huh. Obviously, we respect the jury's verdict. It took seven hours to get there. We pointed out to them the issues, some of the lack of evidence in this case. We still feel strongly about that. In the meantime, we'll be speaking with our client and preserving his rights to appeal any post-verdict motions that we intend to file. We'll have to take a look at that. 
Another defense what? attorney of his, John Putney, you'll love this, says, he kind of knew, I think, talking about Beard knowing the likely verdict. When you've got a false confession, it's an uphill battle. Oh, I, I struggle with the lack of evidence piece. There I was, mean, I feel like there's There was evidence. a lot. <laughs> yeah. They are saying that there it was a false confession not, and that the and that, police basically, we made it, we they made it and look. And that legitimately he yeah. walked in on this murder happening and just willingly took the murder weapon and that's how and took and took the blame because he was scared and yeah. maybe pressured and yeah all of that okay Whedon Wetmore the prosecutor um he he chalked it up as a win as of course he should have but sure. um his work wasn't over he said yeah. quote unquote well it's partial clother closure <laughs> clother well it's partial closure but it feels good obviously getting a guilty verdict helps them a lot he says about the family right this guy was indeed the actual hitman and this guy is a bad person. Yeah. And it feels good for the family. It feels good for me to give the family some relief. But obviously, we have round two coming up. Right. They want the they want the top. Let's go it. to the top. Mm-hmm. You got it. Where this all fucking started. Well, things to note. At the trial of Mar- Michael Beard in November of 16, where he had recanted the confession, he, he had, of course, had testified um, all of this about, you know, Thomas hiring him just to burn the house down, all those things. Well, the prosecution painted the picture... And this is how I want you guys to see it. This is how the jury saw it. Of a woman running for her life after being attacked in her bed, knocking pictures off the wall as she stumbled to get away and then falling violently down the stairs so violently that she made a hole in the wall at the bottom. That Mm -hmm. was not from a weapon. That was from her. Mm -hmm. The jury obviously did not believe Michael's version of the events. And at the time of his his sentencing, here's a quote uh, from Kim. Um, who was talking about basically the most painful day for her family, especially her sister. Yeah, uh-huh. especially who Kelly's children, children suffered. Mm-hmm. She said, you, Michael Beard, are a coward. Only a coward would attack a woman in her bed, she said. Uh-huh. I pray you will acknowledge and accept responsibility for what you have done. We will never see her again. Michael also made a statement. I did not kill that person, he said. I'm sorry for your loss. I know you mourn. That person? The person that you knew. He said that person. That person. That you knew. You knew her. He did. So why would you have not have used her name? Because he has to separate that. Exactly. From his soul. He said, I know you mourn. The I, Michael Beard, did not kill Kelly Clayton. May God rest her soul. Mm -hmm. He was sentenced to life and told he would serve a minimum of 25 years before being eligible for parole. And that's Mm. where I'm going to leave you with part one. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There's a lot. It's a lot. I like this. I like, I mean, I hate, this is an awful case, but I like the way that you're presenting it. So are you bathing us? Um, No. No, you need to bathe me. I'm over here like sweating and. Yep. I can bathe you. I can bathe you. Actually, this just happened this morning and I asked my friend um, if she, if I could have permission to. Your friend this this. happened to? Yes. Do you have permission to use her name too? I I do. Yes. She's Carmen. She was my uh, college roommate. Hi, Carmen. And uh, she's a Patreon. Okay. And as a matter of fact, she posted this and I just got such a kick out of it. It's so lighthearted. She's always really funny on Facebook anyway. But um, I think a lot of people will be able with children, especially, or maybe even pets, be able to relate to this. Okay. So um, this is her post. In case you're trying to decide if parenting is for you. Oh, God. I was just sitting down trying to enjoy a nice breakfast. My three-year-old said he needed some chapstick and ran into my bedroom. No. Cool. A moment of peace. He was in there for a bit, so I yelled to him and told him to come back out. He comes out rubbing his hair. 
I put chapstick in it. Uh-huh. She says, oi. Not ideal, but whatever. It bought me a moment of peace to eat my bagel. Whatever. Yep. I told him chapstick is for lips. He then rubs his hands in his hair and then across his mouth, smiling with satisfaction. Then he gets closer to me. I'm hit with a manly smell. <gasps> um, Buddy, can you get me the chapstick so I can see it? He takes off running. He's again quiet for a minute, so I walk down there and bust him. Deodorant. <gasps> I found a stick of her other son's <laughs> deodorant that I had laid out for vacation. Uh, or he had found, excuse oh me, he had God. found a stick of the, her other son's deodorant um, that that she, at Carmen, had laid out for vacation. He opened it and rubbed it all over his hair and lips because I told him to do you so. You did it. You did it. He deodorized his mouth. Then he says, this chapstick, chapstick is so nummy, mom. <laughs> She says, so in short, I've decided parenting is not for me. Now to tell the kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. Uh, yes. I think we can, we can relate that, uh, to that. We can. And in fact, you know, my mom listens to this too. And she and my dad will both appreciate similarly to that. The infamous story from, I was not a naughty child, by the way. Right. I was a good child, but. That was a good child, too, who yes. just made an error. Yeah. He was absolutely. young. He's three. Yeah. Apparently, I did something similarly with petroleum jelly, with oh, Vaseline. Vaseline. And the, the, the legend has it that when my mother had broken her leg, my Aunt Julie came over to watch me. And my Aunt Julie's only 15 years older than me because she's five years younger than my mom. So she was, you know, she's the young, fun, cool aunt, right? Sure. And she said, "This you're, an, you're my angel baby. You're my angel child. And all of a sudden, I saw you at the top of the stairs. And we're like, Megan Renee, come downstairs. And you, you were like, I can't. And we look, they look up. And I looked wet. But there's no bathroom upstairs. How would I be wet? And then she gets closer and she said it was like grabbing a greased pig. (laughs) I had covered myself in Vaseline from snout to tail and was like, yeah, try and imagine carrying that child. I was just going to say, how did they get you? as she's grabbing, I didn't try to run. I just stood there. I was good. It's waterproof. It is. And she's trying to carry me down, scrubbing this out of me. And the whole time she goes, what is on you? And she said, I said, Vaseline. 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 (laughs) So, yeah, it happens. It does. It really does. Really and does. parenting is still for you, girl. Oh, You're it good. is. She's an amazing parent. Yeah, she's obviously. Also, you found humor in this. She didn't get mad. Uh, you didn't beat your toddler. You're, she's you're fine. She's the best. She also owns a in-home daycare. Oh, so she's a saint. Yes, exactly. Okay. And I see her pictures and that she posts, and she's not in my area, so I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, and plus, be, knowing her, like the I'm, way I'm I do, I'm right I there. Can, some most of my college Facebook friends live far away from Ugh. me. And she posts, she posts her pictures, and I'm just like, oh, you're. It, it's like a professional preschool in her own home. Like her kids are so lucky to have her because she does actual programming with them, and and it's amazing. So and we we made sure we got that in there. So the yes. whole parenting is not. Not for me. Yeah. She is not she, sending the kids back. Nope. She's not giving them up. Nope, 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 just nope. Just maybe She's, a do-over on the day. Yeah, it was it was funny. I just enjoyed her her honesty, though, of like, yeah, it, it gave me peace to eat my bagel. Yeah, I, absolutely. I understand that. Someday I'll tell you the childhood story, story that made me famous. Well, I think that that could be a potential good uh, brain bath only episode because I've got like at least four or five That's more good, a good ones. Point. Most of them are about my sister because she was evil. She was naughty. She was naughty. I had a naughty cousin that got me into a lot of trouble. I, could I had tell. some of those yeah. too. I was an angel. Yeah, of All course, of my cousins of who are listening, screw you. 
<laughs> I was I was pretty good. Oh, I, I'm shoot. a leader, Charnel. So I led right. some things, but yes. I never intended uh-huh. to, I never intended to hurt anyone or get in trouble. And I didn't usually get caught, right? Because right. I'm also smart. There was fall guys. <laughs> That's why Megan. there were fall guys. <laughs> I am not the Michael Beard in this situation. Oh, okay. There yes, was no I confession, know. first of all, right. and second, there wasn't a recanting until confession. we go to the brain bath only episode. Right. And that's when you're going to be like, "So this was me. I yeah. was the leader." So of the my mom knows most of, of it now. There's been honesty in my old age. She just it was like penance, and you know, mom, I need to tell you something. And as I'm telling her this stuff, she. He's like, yeah, I already knew. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, right. Exactly. It ain't my first day here. Oh, <laughs> so. well, Thank right. you guys so much for listening. Thanks for setting us up for, you've done some great research here, girlfriend. I can't wait to hear the rest thank of this. Thank you. So um, those of you who are Patreons, you get to tune right in. You sure do. Part, part two. two. And if you aren't a Patreon and can't wait um, to hear my sultry voice tell you more stories of murder, um, you too can listen to this right away by joining Patreon. Sure can. The link is in the show notes or just go to patreon.com uh, forward slash crime curious and we're there. Very reasonable rates yeah. and uh, lots of extra content for you to binge as well. Um, in the meantime, though, we hope keep, that yeah. you... Oh, God damn it. It's okay. <laughs> you'll get this. In the meantime, keep it curious. Keep listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>